Well, I don't know if you're used to seeing me up here at this time of the service, but uh, we are going to be going through Colossians chapter one together. Pastor Corey is uh, off on vacation right now, heading out to a lake house in the family. And so let's pray for him because it's, it's going to be difficult. So, <laughs> All righty. And so as you guys find your places there, Colossians chapter one, we're going to go ahead and pray. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have preserved this for us. God, that through all of the ages of men trying to tear this down and rid the world of your word, God, you've preserved it for us. Father, and we know that you have a special word for each and every one of us this morning. God, that you want to speak to our hearts, to our spirits. Lord, help us to receive from you. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So, uh, title of this message is, What Does God Want of Me? And so, I'm going to start this off with a question, and you can probably guess that this is a loaded question, but do you care what people think of you? So, as we walk through this world, do we care what people think of us? Now, sometimes this can be a good thing when we do care what people think of us. Uh, You know, if you're going in for a new job, you've got an interview, and you want to make a good impression, you know, it's good for you to have in your head, how am I going to impress this person? Or, you know, if if you're young and uh, looking for a spouse and you're taking this girl on a date, You know, obviously, you don't want to have spaghetti all over your shirt and everything. Uh, We we tell our kids that them, like, if if you ever go on a date, don't eat ice cream. You know, just don't do it because it'll be all over your face. (laughs) And, you know, caring about what people think can be a good thing if it's leading us to be our absolute best. But it can also be a very bad thing if it's leading us to compromise who we know that we should be just to gain other people's favor. You know, whoever other people are, if we're compromising who we know that we should be just to impress them or gain their favor, then it's a a bad thing. And there's countless kids who have gone the way of the world, who have gone by the wayside, you know, by partying and compromising who they know that they should be because of peer pressure, because of trying to fit in, because of trying to be a part of the society that we live in. And so obviously that's a very bad thing. Uh, But we're coming to a time in US history where Christians are standing out more and more every day. The dividing line between darkness as light and light is, is becoming so much more clear Um, I used to go to missions trips in Belize quite often. And over there, it's really easy to see the difference between darkness and light. I mean, you've got a Calvary chapel, and then two doors down, you have a voodoo temple where they're doing animal sacrifices and 
all kinds of, of pagan, horrible practices. And so it's very, very easy to see. And you can, you can sense that spirit of darkness around you. And you can also sense when somebody has the spirit of light, the spirit of God within them. And, and it's, it's very, very clear. And we're coming to a time in America now where that dividing line, again, is becoming more and more clear. There's, there's not much of a gray area. Now, when I was growing up, I, I didn't much fit in, and you know, I really didn't care that much about fitting in. I kind of had that attitude of, you know, here's me, take me or leave me. I don't care. And uh, you know, for, to an extent, it really has served me well that attitude in being a Christian because I, I don't have that desperate need to be liked by people, and I know that I'm not going to please everyone. And uh, you know, though. That whole attitude of, I don't care what people think, that it kind of changed when I became a Christian and I did care about one person, and that was the Lord. I cared about being pleasing to Him for the first time in my life. I had experienced grace, and I just knew, okay, God, I want to please you. I've, I've spent enough of my life being a disappointment and, and making you just <laughs> shake your head and going, oh, man, look at what he did again. And, uh, you know, I spent enough of my life doing that, and I just wanted to be pleasing to the Lord. And above any person or group of people as God's children, we all need to seek to be pleasing to him, to truly care about what he thinks of us. And today we're going to look at seven different things that God tells us that he wants to see in our lives. However, this, these things do not do us a bit of good unless we have first received and known him. If we don't have a relationship with him, if we have not received his payment for our sins on the cross, you could do all seven of these things and it wouldn't do you a bit of good. And there are many people who strive to do these things, and yet they do not have a relationship with God, and it will benefit them nothing. And that is a horribly sad thing when you think of what Jesus was talking about. That he says on that day that many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not, did we not do all these great things in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And, and so for each and every one of us, it has to start on that foundation of Christ. Without that foundation, there's no point in doing any of this. And so we're asking the question, what does God want of me? But really, this is about what God wants for us. Because all of these keys, all of these things that we're talking about, are actually to our benefit. When we receive these and incorporate them into our life, our life is going to be better because of them. And so it's, Jesus told us, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants to help us, not burden us. And so as we look through these things, we have to remember this is not just a list of requirements, that this bar that God is setting that you have to jump this high. Otherwise, I'm just going to shake my head in disappointment. No, these are things that God wants to put within us, and they are to our benefit. 
And so the seven things that God desires to see in our lives, number one, we'll just cover them and then we'll read through it, uh, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And there's a couple of these that have um, where God gives us a qualifier. God tells us why he wants us to have these things in our lives. So to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, that you would be bearing fruit in every good work, that you would be growing in the knowledge of God, that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And again, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Number seven, that we would be joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled us to share in the saint's inheritance in the light. And so let's, let's go ahead and read um, chapter one, verse three. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. So he, he starts off, he's, he's speaking to this church in Colossae. And, and he's saying that we have heard, Epaphras has told us of, of your faith. And not just Epaphras, but it's going out into all the world that everywhere we go, we're hearing these reports of your faith and your love in the Lord Jesus. And he says, we always thank God when we pray for you, for we've heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. And so this faith that they had and the love of God working out through them was evident to everyone. The, the reports that they would get all over the place is just that they are doing great. It was overwhelmingly positive. And I just love when I hear that, when, when people come to this church and, and when visitors come in and go out, it, it is such an encouragement when I hear that people say, I came in and I felt loved, that, that we want to be marked as a church of love. You know, it, it just grieves me to no end when, when people will come in and say, well, nobody greeted me, or I felt like it was a clique that I wasn't a part of. And, and uh, really, we strive to have the love of the Spirit working in and through this entire place in everything that we do. And, and it just blesses me like crazy when I hear that people come in and go out and, and feel loved. And, and the Church of the Colossians was certainly one of that. And Paul goes on and says, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day that you heard it. So I, I was looking up, sometimes I just get distracted in, in Google searches and, and looking for information. And, and there's this one plant called Zemetikova, and it's in Maribor, Slovenia. The only thing I know about Maribor is that it's a UCI World Cup downhill spot on the mountain bike tour. But I was like, oh wow, there's also this insane plant that lives there. And what it is, it is the oldest living vine that is still producing grapes. 
It is over 400 years old, a plant that is still producing grapes. I mean, it's just incredible to think about that 13 generations ago, people were pulling grapes off of this thing and eating them. And you can go there now and still pull off grapes. Well, it's probably protected, so you probably can't just go up and pick grapes off of it. But, uh, you know, it, it's crazy to think of. But look at the fruit of the gospel here. This is something that started before the foundation of the world. When God had the plan to put all of this into action. And when the fall happened, again, it was all a part of God's plan. He knew that Eve and Adam would eat. He knew that when he gave the law, that the Israelites would never be able to keep it. This was never God just coming up with backup plans when the first plan failed. This was his plan all along. And when Christ ascended and went into glory and gave to us the fruit of this gospel, it has continued to reproduce. And we are all sitting here today because of the work that was done on the cross 2,000 years ago. And it's just incredible to think about. It's, it's literally a never-ending vine. We are eating the exact same food and drinking the exact same drink that people ate and drank thousands of years ago. In fact, the Bible explicitly tells us this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says that they, talking about the, the Old Testament saints, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And here we are today eating the same spiritual food, drinking the same spiritual drink that Paul and the apostles ate and drank 2,000 years ago. And so this is just a never-ending vine that continues to grow. And though it seems like the world is getting darker and darker, which, yes, we can probably all agree, it is getting darker and darker, the fruit of this vine is still supplied by the light, and it continues to grow. And, and, and it's never going to stop until the day that he comes back. And it doesn't stop on that day. That's when it is shown completely in full. And he says there after that, that this church in, in Colossae, that they came to truly appreciate God's grace. And it's funny, when you, when you talk about grace, there's times that people can think, well, grace just means, you know, you, you get forgiven when you sin, so you can just do whatever you want, and, and it's okay. But to truly appreciate God's grace, we have to truly appreciate how lost and how hopeless we are without him. To appreciate grace, we have to appreciate how completely wretched and sinful each one of us are. Grace is not just a big, you know, a free pass, so you say, oh, well, I'm going to keep on doing it, the way that many, many people treat confession out there in the world, when they go into confession and they rattle off the things that they've done, there's no brokenness. There's no heart to change. It's just, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spout these things off to you and I'm going to go say a bunch of, of words and, and it's going to make it all okay and I can just continue doing what I'm doing. But that's not, that's not appreciation of grace. Appreciation of grace comes with that recognition of how lost we are without his love. 
And so the one who truly appreciates and understands grace is not the one who goes out intentionally sinning. This type of person doesn't understand the cost of grace at all. Rather, the one who is truly impacted by it will want nothing to do with the sin that came at so great a cost. Let's continue in, uh, in verse 9 here. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so, first of all, the the first point that, that he wants us to recognize is to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And to be filled with the knowledge of his will is literally the most comforting thing that you could ever have on this earth. When you're hit with trials and tribulations, if you know that you're in his will, it's so much easier to deal with because you know that these trials and tribulations have come with the loving care of the Father backing behind it, that he has a plan, that he's working this together for our good, and to his glory, and and that we can receive comfort in this. It's when you don't know if you're in his will or not that the doubt creeps in, and with the doubt, fear, and that fear often can just lead to disbelief. And so it's so important to have that knowledge of his will as we're going through uh, whatever trials and suffering that we have. Now, there's many people who look at the will of God as these, you know, big ticket items in our lives. You know, these long-term things that, you know, when, when you're younger, you're thinking, okay, what will my career be? And, and I'm sure there's many of us who have moved to Idaho and, and had to make that big decision. God, is it your will for me to live in Idaho? Um, Or, uh, you know, if you were born and raised in Idaho, God, is it your will that I stay here with all these Californians? Um, You know, God, what do you want me doing? Uh, Do I move to Bonner's Ferry? (laughs) Even that's blowing up. But, uh, you know, uh, for the younger crowd again, you know, who am I going to marry? That's such a big thing. Lord, what is your will for me? Where is my wife? Where is my husband? You know, but... As we look through the scripture, it seems that God is far less concerned with these big ticket items as he is with what kind of person we are day by day. And often, what kind of person we are day by day will lead us into an easier time of of making decisions for those large items because we're close with the Lord. And the New Testament talks about God's will as being what kind of character we have as much as it does describing what type of circumstances we're surrounded with. 
And, and the two are usually intertwined. God allows or brings certain circumstances to exercise or test the character that we have in him. So often the things that we go through is just a refining process of God saying, I need to work on this character. I need to work on this heart. And, and through the circumstances that he allows through his will, he refines our character. And again, the knowledge of his will is so that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. So that's number two there. Here is the reason that he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will, so that we would be able to walk worthy. You're not going to be able to walk worthy of him if you don't know what his will is for your life. And this is something that's absolutely mind-blowing. It says that, that we would be fully pleasing to him. This is the God of all creation, who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence without even breaking a sweat. I mean, I, I, I was sweating like crazy just trying to build a, a, a little thing for my boat yesterday. And, and that, I mean, it's, it's terrible. But compared to creating the world, God didn't even, there was not even a bit of effort to him. He spoke it into existence. And that God can be pleased by us. I don't know about you guys, that's mind-blowing to me. That, that I, with my just broken, messed up, struggling life, can be pleasing to him. God, uh, John, in 3 John, verse 4, he shared God's heart when he said, I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. And that really is God's heart for this world, is, is those who come to him when we're walking in truth. It brings him great, great joy. And then uh, the next one is bearing fruit in every good work. So God doesn't just want us to do good works. He wants us to bear fruit when we do them. It is absolutely possible to do good works and yet bear no fruit in them. So how do we make sure that we're bearing fruit? By abiding in him, staying close to him, remaining in him. John chapter 15, Jesus tells us this. He said, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. And, and he gave just a couple of verses before that, just this illustration of, you know, what good is a branch if it's cut off the vine? How is that going to benefit anyone? Is any fruit going to grow off of that? No, it's, it's going to wither up and die. And, and so we need to remain connected to him. We need to remain in the vine in Christ. And to remain in Jesus, we have to be filled by the Holy Spirit. That is how we keep this connection. Just after we're told about what the fruit of the Spirit is, in the end of the book of Galatians, we're admonished. And it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Basically, what that means is where he leads, we follow. Jesus says, where I am, there my servant will be also. 
And so as we see the Lord leading, and as we keep connected with the Holy Spirit and keep in step with him as he's leading us, you know, God says that your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. As, as we're staying connected with him, we know where to walk. And as we do that, we will bear fruit. He guarantees it. The next one that he gives us is growing in the knowledge of God. And this is an inexhaustible resource for every single one of us, a well that is so deep that we could never reach the bottom. I don't know about you guys, but I've found myself from time to time as I, I read through the New Testament or you know something that, that I'm really, really familiar with, when I sit down to read the word, I'll just kind of start skimming because I'm like, oh yeah, I've read this a hundred times. And then usually when I become aware of the fact that I'm doing that, really quickly the Lord will just kind of smack me on the back of the head and be like, hey, <laughs> you don't know everything about me. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of where we start to deceive ourselves is sometimes. Like, oh, I know this. Yeah, I've, I've read this a hundred times. I've, I've got it down. You know, Chuck Smith, um, the founder of Calvary Chapel, um, I, I was able to hear him just, I think it was just about a year before he passed away. We did a, a pastor's conference in Visalia, and he came out as uh, the guest speaker. And at 83, 84 years old, um, something like that, he, he just showed his heart to all of us and was just talking about how even in his older age, he is learning more about the Lord every single day. He is growing closer with him, going deeper with him than he ever has before in his life. And it doesn't mean that we just keep learning new things. I think when we, we always seek to learn something new in the scripture, that, that we can be led astray because there are times where you know, in, in the pursuit of just hearing something new, you kind of compromise the scriptures that are already there as a foundation and you try to reimagine and reinterpret those. And, and I've heard many people do that and they'll look at, you know, certain things and say, oh, I know what this means now. And it's like, no, that's not what that means. That's totally out of context, that's backwards. So it doesn't just mean that we're always learning something new. I believe to a certain extent, you can learn all the fundamental aspects of who God is. And that's why he revealed himself through scripture to give us the fundamentals of who he is. However, we can always come to a deeper knowledge of the things that we have already learned about him as we follow him. Just as an example, it's very easy to understand the verse, God is love. If you have the Holy Spirit, you can understand this verse, and then you can know in your heart that this is true. And then you can see God's love revealed to you in a thousand different ways, in a million different ways. God will show you what it means that God is love. And so that is really how we grow in our knowledge of God, that it's inexhaustible. Again, you know, I say a million different things. There are infinite different ways that God can show his love to us and to the world. And then he says from there that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. 
And do you ever feel weak? Like this world has beaten you down and you don't have any strength to fight or to run. God wants to strengthen us. So often people will think about God that that when we feel weak, when we feel tired and beat down and that we don't have the strength to run, you know, that God's just standing over us, looking at us and just kicking us and saying, get going. But that's not his heart here, that he wants to give us that strength. He wants to fill us so that we can do these things. In Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, it tells us of how God wants to fill us and to strengthen us to live for him. It says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may, faint, may become faint and weary, and young men may stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. So Michael Hoffman, who uh, he recently moved up to Wallace, but he, he was coming to our church, and he did the Ironman recently. And, uh, and he was in the 60 to 64 class, which if you can imagine, okay, so Ironman, if you don't already know, it's a swim of 2.4 miles. And then you jump on a bike. And keep in mind, this is in 100 degree heat that day. You get on a bike and you ride 112 miles. And then you get off that bike and you're like, you know what? I'm feeling good. I'm going to run a marathon. <laughs> That's an Ironman. You know, I was talking with Joe Brasati about this a uh, couple of weeks ago. And, and, and he was saying, you know, if, if I didn't know that Ironman existed and you just put this premise out there of swimming this far, riding a bike this far, and, and then running this far, I would say, that's impossible. Nobody could do that. That's beyond the limits of the human body. And yet you have hundreds and hundreds of people that are doing this. But on the back of uh, Michael's jersey, he had this, Isaiah 40, 31. You know, they, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. And when I saw him... He was, he was on the marathon on, on lap number two, and, uh, and he was walking. But uh, I, I, I guarantee you, I would be doing a lot less than walking. I would be face down about, you know, 50 miles back. But, uh, you know, he, he was walking, but guess what? He wasn't fainting, and he finished. He went all the way through. And spiritually, that's what God wants us to do. And keep in mind, this is another one of those verses that has that qualifier, that that we are strengthened so that we may have great endurance and patience. Power isn't really worth much if it doesn't carry you all the way to the end. God wants us to be strengthened, not just so that we can get through today, but that we will be able to go all the way through to the end. On pretty much every mountain bike ride that I go on, 
you know, there's this little process that happens where I, I start with all kinds of energy. I'm excited to ride and I jump on the bike and here we go and, and we're just going. And then usually because, you know, we live in a valley and you have to climb up to the top of the mountain to ride down. And so usually on the climb, I hit a wall and I'm, the energy starts depleting. And at this point, there's a decision to be made. Do I really want to do this? I mean, come on, I could just turn back right now. I'll, I'll just go back home and I'll, I'll sit down and I'll rest up. I'll be fine. You know, but uh, I can decide to turn around and give up or I can continue. And then when the decision is made to press on, then you finally hit what they call like the fat burning mode where you receive this energy that's consistent and you can continue to press on without feeling like you're going to die. And of course, I mean, this will kind of waver as you hit bigger hills and things like that. Um, but, but really, you just settle into this groove and you're able to go a lot further than you ever thought that you could. And guys, this is very much like the life of a believer. You know, a new believer full of passion and energy, just ready to conquer the world for Jesus when they first receive and so excited and just want to conquer everything. And then the energy starts depleting, and this is what happens so often after a few months, a few years, or even a decade or so, is that you see friends or family fall away from the Lord, or you're hit with trials that you've never faced before, and you become weary, you become discouraged, and, and a decision has to be made. Am I going to go on? Am I going to continue? Or am I going to turn back? And as I can see, there's so many here who have faced those things, who have faced those decisions. Am I going to turn back? Is God truly the God that he says he is? And, and as we continue, if, as we decide to press forward and receive from the Holy Spirit, God gives us this energy, this endurance, this patience to press on despite the obstacles. We can see another five hills coming up around the corner, and we're not discouraged. We, we continue to press on in him. And so I just pray that, that that's, if that's not where you're at now, that that is where you are headed in the Lord, that you would just have that determination, that you would have that focus, that you would have that drive to say, I don't care what comes against me. I'm going to press on in the name of the Lord. And then it goes on from there. And, and the last one is that we would be joyfully giving thanks to the Father. And he continues from there, who has enabled us to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. And in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So no matter what we're going through, no matter how difficult the path seems to be, each and every one of us has a reason to joyfully give thanks to the Father. And that's because we're forgiven. You know, Jesus says that that's the greatest thing that we could ever give thanks for is that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That we have a place with him for all of eternity. We have an inheritance that's waiting for us that can never be defiled, it will never grow old, it will never break down. You know, I've got a, a 1963 Volkswagen that, 
You know, this thing, I'm telling you, it's just you fix one thing and another thing breaks. It's, it's really, really old, and, and you can do everything that you can just to get it all fixed up, and then something else goes wrong, and you're going, oh my goodness, this thing just needs to be made completely new. But that's what God wants to, to have in us, that he would strengthen us, that he would make us completely new, and that, you know, our inheritance that he gives us will never break down never grow old. And so whenever we start to feel hopeless and helpless, all we have to do is remember what God has already done for us and know that he will continue to provide for us. Philippians 1.6, we'll close with this. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so with that thought, Jesus commanded us to remember his death and resurrection through the act of communion, to continually keep our eyes on the fact that he gave everything for us, that he paid so great a price. And it begs the question that if he gave that much for us, how much will he hold back from us today? You know, what, what is he not going to give us? He wants to bless us with the things that we need for this life. And not just the carnal things of just our, our dream wish list. The Lord wants to provide the things that are actually going to make a difference in our lives. And so, as, as we close, we're going to, to begin worship. And, and just as you feel led, there's two cups, one uh, within the other, and you have the bread and the juice. And the bread symbolizes his body that was broken for us. As he sat around the table with the disciples, he, he broke it and gave to each one of them, just as his body was broken and given to each one of us. And then he took of the cup, and, and that was his blood poured out for us for the redemption of our sins, for the cleansing, for the washing. The Bible talks about confession. And it says, when we confess our sins to the Lord, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he does that through the blood of his son, that it washes us, it renews us. Anybody ever been camping for a long time? And then you come home and you take a shower and you just feel like so renewed, so refreshed. That's what the Lord wants for each one of us. That when we repent, that times of refreshing can come in the presence of the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your heart for us. God, when you say that you want to see things in our lives... God, it's, it's not just some Christian checklist that you're giving us. God, these are things that you want to bless us with. That as we incorporate these things into our lives, God, that we will be better off for having known them and for having known you. Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us here, Lord, that you would draw us closer to you than ever before. Lord, that we would be able to, to taste afresh and know that you are good.
and that you love us. Lord, as we sit and meditate upon your sacrifice for us, God, I just pray that each one of us would just have that spirit of confession, that spirit of repentance. Lord, that we would be able to turn everything that's not of you back to you. God, so that you would be Lord and master of our lives. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.